When Chuck Bridwell was on the staff of University Baptist Church in Coral Gables, Florida, he directed the Miami Christmas Pageant. It was a huge production with a cast of over 400 people and live animals as well. And he told about the year that their seasoned donkey died. So they were forced to find another one. You're already anticipating this, I can tell. Well, the, the animal trainer found a replacement, but this donkey had never been on stage before. And even though the last dress rehearsal was a little shaky, the donkey managed to successfully carry Mary with Joseph by her side across the stage. So then came opening night, and it was time for Mary and Joseph to make their journey toward to Bethlehem. And so with Mary on his back, the donkey came out about 15 feet on stage, stared up at the spotlight, and started backing up toward the painted hills of Judea. And he got to the back of the scenery, and he stopped. Well, the director said, cut the spotlight, cut the spotlight. So they cut the spotlight. And then you could see with just the regular stage lights that there were about six people on stage trying to drag this donkey across the stage to Bethlehem. Well, the narrator then delivered the line, yes, it was a long journey to Bethlehem. (laughs) So this poor donkey... The spotlight had stopped him from going forward, and so he reversed direction, but then the hard background made him feel completely caught. He couldn't go backward, and he was scared to go forward. And does that not describe the way we sometimes feel? Really, in every moment of our lives, we can't go backward. And then there are times when we're scared to move forward. Both of today's Bible passages bring out conflicting feelings. It's only the second chapter of Isaiah when he comes forward with this vision of in days to come. When Isaiah is writing, Jerusalem is the religious capital of Judaism and the majestic temple tops the mountain. So we get this from Isaiah. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. They stream to hear God's teachings. And then there's this day of judgment. And on this day of judgment, we're not instructed about condemnation, but about peace. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. One day this week, the Roanoke Times reported that a few decades ago, the USSR 
ended its occupation of Afghanistan, ended its attempts at making Afghanistan a socialist nation. And now the United States has surpassed their record, if we want to be so imperialistic as to call it that, with more conflict in Korea, with drug wars, with wars on AIDS and cholera and poverty, it challenges us to imagine a time like Isaiah forecasts when war tools are shaped into farming tools. Matthew's gospel brings conflicting emotions as well. He shows us a different picture of that in those days. And Jesus says, not even I know when a day of judgment will arrive. And then he reminds us to go backwards in time to the days before the great flood. Except for Noah, the people were apathetic about their relationship with God and their relationships with each other. They lived for their own pleasure. And then suddenly, there was a day of judgment for which they were not prepared. And Jesus forecasts another day of judgment. He doesn't know when. Now, somebody does because there's a billboard on Williamson Road. And I think that it's May 12 next year. I guess I should go by and look again. But, right, right. You know, don't you want to say that every time you hear somebody forecasting a day that the world's going to end? Right. As if, if Jesus didn't know, how, how could we know? And yet, the question is, will we be ready? Do you feel like that donkey on the stage? You can't go back, but you're not sure you want to go forward. These Bible passages spotlight our yearning to break free. Our yearning to break free of our fears. Our yearning to break break free of wars and move towards peace. Our yearning for a meaningful Advent and Christmas even as the stores suggest that we can fulfill our yearnings with objects from their shelves. Stephen Montgomery, a pastor in Memphis, spotlights Isaiah's intent and what a difference that his intent for peace can make on this first Sunday of Advent. Off the coast of Maine, there's an island called Monahan Island. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Maybe Monhegan. I've never been, but he has. And he says that the only way to get there is by a ferry. You leave the coast at 7 in the morning, and it takes maybe an hour to get there. The day that he went, it was beautiful in the morning. The sea was pristine. The sky was a clear blue enjoyed his day there, and then um, it was time to come back later in the afternoon. A front had moved in, and where once there was no wind, there were now blustery, hurling, frothy winds. He said to the pilot of the ferry, somewhat apprehensively, still going to go back? 
Oh, yes, this is nothing, he said with a little chuckle. And before long, where there once was a gorgeous sheet of glass, there were now violent white-capped waves. Where there once was an intrepid adventurer, there was now one seasick soul. The pilot looked at him, noticed that his face was the color of an avocado, and simply said to him, sit down, find a point on the shoreline, and focus on it. And so he did. Far away on the rocky shore, there was one point that was higher than all the others, a sharp peak on which there was a lighthouse. And so he kept his eyes on that lighthouse. And as he did so, he began to visualize life back on terra firma in a warm, dry setting. And after a while, his stomach became calmer. His head cleared, and he began to breathe deeply. And with brand new assurance, he thought, I'm going to make it. And he did. And so Montgomery continues with, you know, basing his thoughts on this story, this experience of his, that the world in which Isaiah lived was a choppy world. It was chaotic. It was unjust. It was warring. Israel was a storm-tossed nation threatened by the powerful Assyrians to the north and east and menaced by the Egyptians to the south and west. The king and his advisors were occupied with what they needed to do to protect themselves. And that left a lot of other things undone. The neediest of the needy, the orphans and the widows, were neglected, and many people didn't seem to care. Perhaps they thought, I might as well just go on with the current. That's just the way it is. Always has been, always will be. Nothing I can do about it. But out of that storm-tossed world, one voice stands out. It's a voice of God's voice. It's a vision of God's vision. To the world that was warring and killing and groping and sinking in an angry sea, Isaiah rises up and he calls out, Look! Focus your eyes on the mountain of the house of the Lord, there on the shore. And people of all races will come and say, let us make our way together to the mountain of the Lord, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. So the question is, was Isaiah just being a foolhardy idealist, impractical, otherworldly, Or is it possible that he was the only realist of his age, 
that his vision penetrated more deeply into the essence of reality. The future of our planet has always depended on people, at least a remnant of people, fixing their hearts, minds, and souls on an alternative vision, a landmark established by God. And without that vision, the prophet says, the people perish. There's something else that separates Isaiah from all the others. He wasn't simply pointing to the future. He was speaking also about the present moment. In days to come is how this prophecy begins. In days to come, the literal Hebrew is a bit more nuanced. In the back of the days, it may be, or better yet, in the midst of the present Isaiah is suggesting that the present moment is ripe, or to use an appropriate Advent term, is pregnant with God's presence. If you talk with a woman who has been pregnant and ask her what it was like when she first felt the baby move inside her, she might say it was subtle almost imperceptible. In fact, I wasn't sure that I felt anything. Was that really movement, or did I just imagine it? And so she may have tried to be very still and very quiet so that she might be sensitive to the hidden reality. So maybe the prophet's gift is not to see magically into the future, but to have a spirit which discerns the mystery of the present. That mystery is that our history and our lives are lived against a larger reality. There's more than meets the eye. The day when people shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, maybe that's closer than we can imagine. Can we believe that? Or is Isaiah just a wild-eyed, dreamy, impractical idealist? Jesus didn't think so. He staked his very life on it. But that is the question before us this Advent. Can we watch? Can we be ready? Can we claim the vision? Can we move toward the vision now, in the midst of the presence? Waiting could be boring. We could be very passive in our waiting. But our text reminds us that just the opposite is true, that what we do is of eternal weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. And how we live while we, W-A-I-T, is a matter of crucial significance. Bill Mule, who was the professor of preaching at Yale Divinity School, told the story of a child in preschool who had made a ceramic figure to be taken home 
as a gift for his parents on the last day of class before Christmas. And when the child sees his parents in the hallway, he runs toward them and he accidentally falls. The ceramic figure crashes to the ground and shatters into a hundred tiny pieces. The father takes the sobbing and frightened child up into his arms and he attempts to comfort his son with the disclaimer, don't cry, it's all right, it doesn't matter. But the child's mother a bit wiser, quickly intervenes. And she says, oh no, it does matter. And she weeps with her son. On this first Sunday in Advent, the prophet Isaiah is trying to tell us that God has set a spotlight on a beautiful vision before us. But life is short And along the way to that vision, we have broken some things. Sometimes we did it intentionally. Sometimes we did not. Some relationships have been broken, responsibilities messed up. And the brokenness is at all levels. It's in our families, it's in our churches, our communities, our nation, and our world. And it matters It matters that we can make it right again. It matters that we can acknowledge this brokenness before God and each other so that we can begin to bring healing where the brokenness lies. If we believe these words of a prophet, then we watch for, we prepare for, We hope for, we work for God's kingdom of justice and love and peace right in the midst of time, our time. We just might make it, It maybe closer than we think. Let's pray together. Oh, come. O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Come into our lives this Advent, a season of new beginnings, precious traditions, and the longing deep in our hearts for what we have learned to call the day of our Lord, your day, a day when you come with love and power and justice and mercy a day when we stand up and become all that you have created us to be. So come to us, Emmanuel, this day and this season. May this day be the day in which swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. When cold hearts melt and relationships warm and the hungry are fed and there is peace, in our hearts, our homes, our communities, our nation, and our world. In the name of the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen.